This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In the run-up to the announcement about the European aid package, Wharton management professors Maro F. Guillen and Saika Chaudhary and Jean Salmona, founder and chairman of the editorial board of Paris Tech Review, discussed the likely outcomes from the financial crisis facing Greece, some of its sister countries, and the European Monetary Union more generally. How did events spin so out of control? How will the politics of the crisis affect the Eurozone's economic performance? And will there be similar crises in the future? These and other questions are addressed in this podcast, a panel discussion with Knowledge at Wharton, recorded on May 7th, just before the huge financial support package was announced. The discussion covers many longer-term issues still relevant in the wake of bailout efforts. I heard the saying that there's uh, two things you should never watch being made. One is sausage and the other is law. <laughs> what we're going to do here is, is create some knowledge, and this is how we do it at Knowledge at Wharton. And I would, I would say that um, this is something that you should watch being made because I, I hope it's going to be very stimulating. So thanks to our panel for joining us. Um, and I would like to uh, start off by asking Professor Guillen if he could put into context how Europe got to where it is today, particularly uh, in the case of Greece, um, and um, just set the stage for our conversation coming up, please. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. And um, uh, what I would like to say is that uh, obviously the situation uh, is not uh, uh, one in which uh, anybody would like to be in. Uh, So I guess uh, the Greeks, uh, you know, have to, uh, uh, you know, play the role of being uh, perhaps, uh, you know, the, uh, the weakest uh, country right now in the uh, European bloc and more specifically in the Eurozone. Uh, and uh, they are in the center of the storm. They're by, in no way, I, I don't think, uh, the only country that uh, is facing certain very important challenges uh, having to do with uh, uh, the, uh, you know, public deficits and uh, with a lack of competitiveness and so on and so forth. But I guess the background to all of this it's, of course, uh, a little bit more than 10 years ago uh, that, that the European uh, countries, some European countries, uh, uh, adopted the, uh, the euro as, uh, as their currency. Uh, but they didn't think about, uh, you know, situations in which uh, maybe uh, the adoption of a common currency would uh, come under stress. Uh, and in particular, the fact that uh, even though there is a common currency and a, uh, a central European central bank, uh, there are no uh, mechanisms in place, really, to uh, make sure that all of the countries are playing by the same rules and that all of the countries are essentially complying with uh, some basic uh, uh, criteria, uh, which are half uh, economic, half political, okay? Uh, so this is not just about economics. This is also about politics. Uh, criteria having to do with, uh, uh, you know, uh, budget deficits and uh, having to do with uh, the way in which... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you are making sure that your country can remain competitive uh, after you have essentially given away uh, a very important uh, um, uh, policy option uh, in your toolkit, which is to devalue your currency, right? So you are, in other words, um, surrendering your sovereignty in terms of your currency, which means that during hard times then you cannot devalue in order to become more competitive. Uh, But at the same time, the architects of this uh, monetary union uh, 10 years ago didn't think about uh, what should be done in case one or more countries actually get into trouble. Uh, And uh, and, uh, uh, they didn't think about uh, what kinds of an institutional arrangement and decision-making procedures should be in place to tackle in real time a crisis that, unfortunately, 
You see, um, as always happens with this sovereign debt crisis, uh, the, uh, they build up over a very, very, very long period of time, but they unfold very, very quickly, right? So, so the roots of this situation uh, are to be found, uh, you know, in the last five years, last 10 years, probably the last 15 years, right? Since uh, Greece, Portugal, Spain, and so on became members of the European Union, right, in the mid-1980s. Um, uh, but the unfolding of the crisis actually, you know, has taken place over just a period of two months or three months. And therefore, if you didn't plan, especially institutionally, right, for uh, the situation, then there's no way in real time you can actually put in place uh, the mechanisms to, uh, to, to, to cope with the situation. There is a recent column uh, in the Financial Times by Martin Wolf, which stated that Greece is being asked to do what Latin America did in the 1980s. That led to a lost decade and the beneficiaries being foreign creditors. Could, Mauro, could you comment on that also? Because I believe you follow Latin American very closely also. Uh, well, the Latin American crisis was, uh, was uh, similar in the sense that uh, these countries uh, just at some point could not uh, no longer service their debt. But there were two major differences. So I, I, I disagree with Martin Wolf. I don't think the analogy is that great. The first difference, of course, is that each of these Latin American countries had their own currency. Uh, they continue to have their own currency today. Some of them were pegging it against the dollar, with the dollar, but that, that doesn't really matter. Uh, they had their own currency. They could actually, uh, you know, uh, use a devaluation in order to uh, uh, try to get out of the problem. The second big difference is that the reason why they got into trouble was that because they borrowed uh, immense amounts of money, which they didn't invest well, uh, and they used essentially the natural resources as collateral. Uh, the other big difference, of course, is that uh, uh, in the Latin American crisis, the, the banks that were, got burned as a result of it were the U.S. banks, right, the American banks. Whereas in uh, the case of Greece, the, uh, the, the lenders uh, have been primarily, you know, other European uh, countries. It involves some banks. It also involves uh, individual savers and so on and so forth. So I would say that the situation is actually very different, even though uh, the, uh, the type of phenomenon, right, uh, uh, appears to be the, uh, the same. So we've seen, uh, in the last two years, we've gone from what was called the great moderation, where business cycles were supposed to be smoothed out and uh, everything was, uh, in the world economy was going to be hunky-dory because we've solved all the economic problems, to uh, this week where we have um, demonstrators burning banks in Greece. So it's, it, that's, that's a pretty quick progression. So uh, in further to look at how we got from there to here, uh, Professor Chaudhary, could you explain a little bit uh, from your point of view, having grown up and been in, educated in Germany, um, how, what is the German perspective uh, on the crisis? And, and, and uh, what has been the perspective and how has it changed in, oh, let's say the last two weeks or so? Yeah, very, very interesting point. Yeah, and uh, Steve, thanks for mentioning my background. You know, some of you might be confused, but I am Indian. But yes, I grew up in Germany, and so I'm quite comfortable in making these statements. So uh, and when you hear me speak German, then you'll be really puzzled. But uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> not as common, but uh, it was indeed great, great growing up there, and I feel I have the perspective. Uh, I think, you know, we have to look at this uh, at the EU level and then also at the German level. And perhaps, you know, uh, a critical piece of it was this, uh, this hesitation or this reluctance on the part of Germany and Merkel in particular to uh, quickly come up with part of a solution. I think if we look at it per the framing of, uh, of Mauro, essentially what I think this crisis exposes is that the EU is still very much a federation which coordinates but is not integrated. 
And um, hence the, the difficulty in managing crises or even in monitoring and implementing various measures. This also became clear in a very different and compared to this perhaps minor crisis, which was the uh, airspace closure as a result of the uh, volcanic uh, ash clouds, right? Because uh, while Euro control exists to coordinate between the different entities, it's not one integrated European sky, led to some delays in decision making, and as a result of which we had that prolong as well. So I think it's good to see this as a coordination challenge. From the German point of view, they're both economic and political compulsions, which I think have led to the hesitation of Merkel and others to accede to this request by Greece for an emergency package, uh, and in particular move swiftly. Uh, on the one hand, um, we have Germany coming out of the economic uh, crisis, the pre previous one, the big global recession, um, and yet, you know, the economy is not quite roaring yet. At the same time, Germans have a, a history of being um, conservative spenders, fairly good with their economy, have worked very hard, and uh, given especially this time of coming out of another global recession, there is understandably a certain hesitation uh, also in the, in the public um, to going forth and agreeing to such a bailout package for a country which is viewed in Germany as having been reckless and, and you know, if we take more radical views, perhaps shouldn't have been given as quick membership um, without sufficient oversight, um, such as Greece. You know, that's, of course, an extreme view, but um, that's, I think, some of the sentiment. Compounding this is, of course, the political situation right now in Germany because you probably know that um, this weekend uh, the CDU and FDP, which is the coalition in power, is facing an important litmus test politically because elections are on in North Rhine-Westphalia, uh, which is the most populous state in Germany and also the largest economy. And uh, by all indications, it seems difficult for that coalition to win that state election. Now, it's not just about state matters, but in the German system, if they lose those elections, then the upper house in German parliament uh, also would be uh, a minority position for the CDU and FDP, which would make Merkel's life extremely difficult in governing going henceforth, despite the fact that she's firmly chancellor and in power at the federal level. So that really compounds the problem. So I think Merkel was not trying to not uh, respond to the crisis, but she would have preferred for this to be delayed, a decision to be delayed until after the elections are over. Uh, and, and that really played a role as well. Uh, so we have to view her reaction. Of course, you know, things hit such a, a bottom that there was no choice. And as a result, Germany had to act. And I think the view is changing now that, look, German situation is one thing, but if the EU goes under, then there's a lot more that's uh, at stake. Thank you. You both raised interesting points. Uh, one key point is about the uh, central role of currency in this crisis and how it renders Greece uh, unable to kind of rescue itself because typically in these cases a country would simply devalue its currency, increase its exports, have a rough time for a while, but eventually grow its way out of the, the kind of problems that it has. And that option is, is not available to it. Um, and then we hear about the political challenges uh, in Germany. So um, maybe I want to ask, can you have monetary union without having political union, which is what is the case right now in Europe? Saipan. Um, you can, but the challenges are extensive. I think the ones of oversight. Um, I, I, I don't know if political union is, is going to become a reality um, because you have so many different cultures uh, and, and sovereign nations uh, who are proud of their heritage, their history, 
And so I think that's, that's almost very difficult to achieve. Uh, I think that what this has exposed, just like with the global financial crisis, is that the oversight mechanisms perhaps need to be overhauled. And I think that's the direction, perhaps, that this will all take, um, uh, in addition to coordinating some things. And I, I go back to the European ash cloud situation. They will integrate European skies. Um, it's not quite a political union, but at least at an institutional level, uh, you may get some flavor of that in particular demarcated areas. Mauro? Uh, well, I think that's a question for somebody who can represent friends. Uh, because... <laughs> Just so because the, uh, As you all know, the, uh, the British were always uh, very reluctant about any type of, uh, you know, monetary union, and of course they opted out. And uh, the Germans were very reluctant because they felt they had a, uh, you know, a great uh, currency and uh, they had a great institution. Uh, even though, by the way, historically there is some uh, debate as to whether actually the Bundesbank has been as good at uh, keeping inflation down as uh, the Bundesbank, meaning in the post-World War II period. I mean, there's, there's some economists who have written about this, and uh, there's, there's a myth and there's a reality about the Bundesbank, right? Uh, but like with many other European projects, uh, the, uh, I think the uh, monetary union was, uh, you know, something that, uh, uh, you know, came from, you know, the, the biggest impetus came from France, actually, right? And uh, uh, I, I, I would tend to think that uh, it was a very good idea in many, many different ways, and it certainly helped, uh, you know, the European periphery. Right? We're talking, obviously, not just uh, here about, I think everybody's thinking about not just Greece, but also um, three or four other countries uh, that for now have not been uh, named. Uh, uh, but the, uh, the, the issue here is, uh, I think right now, is obviously it's twofold. One is, what can we do now? And uh, it is unfortunate that, uh, you know, the political cycle in Germany uh, is not collaborating, right, with the, uh, with the need to, uh, to take uh, action swiftly. And then the second issue is uh, can something like this really work without uh, some other kinds of uh, mechanisms? I don't think you need a political union, meaning a European president, for example, or, you know, European-wide election for the executive branch of government, that, that kind of thing. Uh, in order to uh, manage a, uh, something like this, uh, like a currency union. But what you need is a, which is entirely lacking, uh, you need a mechanism for, uh, you know, dealing with, for example, something like the Greek case. And, and the, again, the Greek case is very extreme, right, for a number of reasons, beginning with the fact that they were concealing the, the, uh, the true extent of the, uh, of the problem, right? Uh, but you need some mechanism, and that's why uh, there's been all of this hesitation and uh, coupled with uh, then, you know, nothing can really happen without the Germans uh, being on board. Uh, and, uh, and then there is the other sideshow of, uh, you know, the idea of bringing in the IMF, uh, which, of course, it just uh, so happens that uh, there's a Frenchman there at the helm of the, uh, of the IMF, um, which is probably a good thing. I'm not, uh, you know, right now. Uh, there used to be a Spaniard up until like uh, three or four years ago. Uh, but, the, but the point that I'm trying to get across here is that uh, uh, I think it has become readily apparent that uh, something is missing in the institutional setup to make this work. It's not necessarily, you don't have to go, I don't think, as far as having political union. And by the way, there were people 10 years ago or 12 years ago who were exactly pointing out this problem, right? That uh, uh, what if, right, a, a country actually uh, gets into trouble, uh, a country that is a member of the, uh, of the common currency. Uh, so, uh, but I'm, I'm actually, you know, very much looking forward to, uh, you know, listening to the French perspective because I think, uh, you know, everybody's talking about Germany, but actually, and, uh, and here I'm, uh, you know, like giving you a, uh, 
you know, some, uh, I'm, I'm saying something nice about France. I think uh, a lot of the things that <laughs> a lot of the things that happen in Europe, a lot of the things that happen in Europe happen because uh, uh, you know the French, uh, you know, come up with the intellectual reason, you know, for implementing them. And I think the currency union was a very good idea in many ways, but it was an idea that uh, you know the French championed right uh, back then. Uh, so we look forward to hearing your comments on this, John. And also, John is uh, the member of the panel who is an entrepreneur, uh, as opposed to an academic, so it's a nice mix that way. So we have most of Europe represented and, uh, and all, all walks of life. So please. I don't know whether I have to apologize for being an entrepreneur, <laughs> but we'll see that. Um, b before I answer related to the French uh, situation, uh, let me give you a, a few ideas of what the, the background is. Uh, we consider that not only we in France, but we in Europe, in most of Europe, have been living uh, much higher than we should. I mean, we are living uh, higher than what our situation would make it possible for us due to uh, two things. One is the increasing debt, private debt and uh, government debt. And second, to the fact that uh, we have, especially in France, but in most of Europe, very uh, special uh, social laws which means that you have social security, we have an employment uh, system, we have a very uh, high level of redistribution of income, which makes it possible for the basic man in the street to say, okay, if anything happens to you, the state will take care of me. And therefore, the, uh, the general mind is not, uh, you remember the word of by uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, don't think what, uh, of what uh, the states are going to do for you, think of what you can do for America. In, in Europe, especially in France, but it's exactly the reverse, you know. What is the state going to do for me? And after that, I shall see whether I can do anything for myself and, of course, maybe for my country. So this is one, one, one first point. Uh, second point is um, people, by and large, do not trust their governments, which is very uh, contradictory with the first part, but they do not trust. They think that the governments are not corrupt, but they, they are just looking for reaction and they are not uh, reliable, and therefore um, they, uh, they act in such a way that uh, uh, First, they count on the states, but on the other hand, everything coming from the states is not really very, very reliable, and uh, they, they hate it in a way. And third, um, governments, uh, and oh, oh, by the way, yeah, I, I have to add something too, which is uh, the unions, we have very strong unions in Europe, workers' unions, which are dominated by ideology. You, you know, at the end of, uh, just after the end of the Second World War, uh, we, the, the communist parties all around Europe were very strong. Uh, I'm talking Western Europe, of course. They were very strong. I mean, Italy, in France, uh, more than 30% of the electorate, sometimes much more than that. And therefore, uh, the unions uh, which uh, took uh, over the, the, the former unions were very much communist and socialist dominated. And the unions are uh, dominated by ideology. They don't like the companies, they don't like the states either, the state either. And there, uh, you probably know that in France we have a strike every uh, second week on anything. And last strike was so strange for me, the strike of the French railways, strange because the, the workers did not even know why they were on strike. Uh, really, really, why are you on strike? I don't know, probably against the government, probably against, uh, but we are on strike. And, and so uh, this makes the situation very, very complicated. 
and uh, people are not prepared due to the fact that the, 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 the opposition as well as the union say, okay, we'll, if we, we, if we uh, overthrow the government, you'll see everything will, will be better. Uh, the uh, people do not trust the opposition, they do not trust uh, the government either. Let me give you a, a, just a sentence which was um, given by um, Prime Minister, former Prime Minister socialist uh, Laurent Fabius, who was one of the, uh, who, who launched the Euro idea. He said, uh, uh, and he was, he was on the top of government, he said, we have to, uh, to be realistic. We have to see really, real, really what the present situation is. Of course, no, not the, what it is, what it should be. And that the realism, realism uh, explain being that we look at the situation not as it is, but as it should be, explains a lot of our problems uh, in Europe. Um, then, uh, what about the, uh, so the result is that the people uh, have some, someone to blame. So they blame the banks, of course, and they blame too um, any scapegoat. For instance, I don't know whether you have looked at the recent elections in Hungary. Uh, the uh, far-right party, uh, which is very much uh, against the, any immigrant worker and marginally foreigner, gypsies and so on, made a, a, a lot, you know. And it's not only there. You remember what happened in Austria, what the present situation is in Italy, in France, uh, the recent elections of uh, regional elections, Le Pen and his very far-right, fa almost fascist party gained more than 15%, 1-5. So all that explains that uh, people do not know exactly what, what to do. And now coming to the, to the euro, um, I don't see how we can go ahead without more than coordination, some kind of common policy. So making, having a common money without a common fiscal policy, a common, it doesn't really make sense, and a, a common social system it doesn't make sense. So at present, the mind of French people, for instance, is let's do something, but the Germans, Germans will pay, you know. That was an old... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Sarkozy is quite good at that in trying to convince Angela Merkel, despite, in spite of her uh, political uh, uh, the, uh, situation today. But um, so probably I don't know about the other countries, but the feeling that there is one good country, which is Germany, uh, we are the, the bad ones, but okay, our Germ Germans did to so many things in the past to us, that is just fair enough to uh, let them uh, run, the, run the game, run the business. Uh, so to come back to uh, your question, business is not, is not that bad uh, because uh, in my party, which is so, uh, private equity, uh, we, uh, we only have, are facing one big problem with the banks are very reluctant to, uh, to give money, to, to give loans. However, if we find some uh, good acquisition, if we find, and which is the case in some uh, um, domains like uh, nuclear energy subcontractors, for instance, uh, then the banks are ready rushing to, to be the first to, to give you uh, money for, for that. So to, to sum it up, uh, oh, sorry, last point is, of course, part of our um, do economic domains are against, uh, sorry, are uh, again, under a state help, for instance, a renewable energy 
is uh, working well and the banks are giving loans, but renewable energy works only because it's subsidized by, by the state. In Spain, in France, everywhere, in, if you would forget any subsidy, uh, the wind farms, the solar farms would not be feasible uh, in Europe. I don't know how it is here. So uh, to, uh, you can do something in private equity by putting your money in uh, uh, solar energy or in wind farms for some years because you know that it's going on for 20 years. The contracts are 20 years contract. But uh, 15 or 18 years from now, uh, who knows what ha what's going to happen? And in between, the conditions are changing every year. Every year, then the subsidies get uh, a little bit uh, lower for the new contracts, of course, not for former ones. So. Uh, Situation, this, to, to sum it up, the people uh, in, uh, in the streets are disoriented. Can you say that in English? Disoriented. Uh, they, they don't know exactly what, what to do, where to go. They feel that the state will protect them. Uh, they hate the banks. They hate the rich, generally speaking, not knowing exactly what the rich are. And remember that uh, the leader of the French Socialist Party, François Hollande, said once, a couple of years ago, I don't like the rich. Uh, by himself, himself, he has a lot of uh, real estate property, but he forgot that, of course, <laughs> when we explained that. Uh, and so, uh, and the, the business is not too bad, but uh, whether, if nothing happens concerning a uh, political, um, uh, more than coordination, some, uh, some very new thing uh, for a common fiscal policy and probably a common social policy, when I say policy, it's more than that. It's a system, fiscal system for companies, for, in, for uh, income, for um, households, and same thing for workers, for social security. I don't know uh, where we are going, but we are quite pessimistic. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a, quite a few more questions and time, but I want to encourage anyone who has a question to step up at any time to the microphone here and um, we would like to take them as we go because we'll get too far on and move on to other subjects. I don't want to neglect this one. Uh, this is Janet Kersnar, our editor in London, who uh, oversees many of our international editions and helps ed with editing. Good observations. Many thanks for them. Um, I've heard in various circles people say that it's not Greece, it's not Spain, it's not Portugal, it's not Ireland we should be most concerned about, it's the UK. What are your views on what's been happening there, especially given the election results? Anyone? <laughs> well, I must say that in France we feel exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock. I think uh, the UK faces two challenges. One is the immediate political situation as well, um, coalition government and what can happen. The second is an economic one, undoubtedly, because uh, if you look at it, um, UK is very dependent on the service sector, um, financial services and so forth, and uh, they're the ones who are still struggling in coming out of the crisis. Germany and France, by comparison, have been able to do so because at least the uh, Asian and Latin American markets have started growing, and so export has somewhere to go. Um, so I think that the challenge lies in uh, somewhat restructuring of the economy and finding new drivers. Um, that is very much there. But at the same time, I don't think uh, the UK is at risk of immediate fiscal collapse. And so, you know, there is some stability there. But I do think there, there will be some restructuring necessary. Well, the UK has one advantage by definition, which is that uh, they have their own currency, and so they can adjust that way. But they are running the largest... Uh, 
deficit right now, I was just checking the numbers, uh, of all major economies in the world, and uh, d definitely higher than uh, Italy, Spain, and uh, 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 Portugal, uh, and uh, it is also higher than Greece's as a percentage of GDP. Um, uh, the UK doesn't have as much debt accumulated, right? But the problem is that, you know, they place a big bet on financial services. Uh, you know, the, their manufacturing essentially went south, right? Uh, not even the Germans could turn around some of their, uh, you know, uh, companies. Uh, the Germans invested in the uh, British automobile industry, and they couldn't turn it around. No, right? now the Indians are trying. And now the Indians are trying. Uh, so, uh, you know, they are at a crossroads. Uh, I think it's obvious. But they do have more options at their disposal than uh, other countries. And, of course, uh, they do have a... Uh, you know, uh, uh, a very, very strong reputation for living up to their obligations, uh, unlike other countries, unfortunately. Uh, so they do have goodwill, right? Uh, and they do have other options. Uh, and of course, the outcome of the election doesn't help, right? Because now, uh, I guess in the next uh, few weeks, there's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of discussion as to exactly uh, who forms a government. Uh, so uh, it's not clear to me that the UK is in, in great shape. Uh, they're facing a lot of challenges as well, right? I want to return to one of those countries that doesn't have a lot of options, which is Greece, and look at some of the numbers between the money they are getting from the EU and the IMF. It's a $146 billion rescue package, which is up quite a bit from just a couple weeks ago. That represents about 145% of their GDP projected out to 2011. So that's a pretty big chunk. I think another way to look at this is that if Greece repudiated its debt today, if they didn't pay any principal or any interest in order to just take care of their internal debt and other obligations, they'd have to run a GDP surplus equal to about 8% of their GDP. I don't think anyone thinks that's likely to happen anytime soon. So that gives you some idea of the kind of trouble they're in. And under those conditions, is it likely that this rescue package can actually work? Is it not likely that Greece is going to have to at some point, whether it's six months or 12 months, pull out of the monetary union so that they can devalue? There may be better options. For example, all of Europe could devalue the euro. That would help Greece, but it has a tremendous implication worldwide. As unthinkable as it was just a few weeks ago for a country to pull out of the EU, given what's happened just yesterday, Spain and Portugal's credit default swaps, if that's not a dirty word anymore, for Spanish and Portuguese banks rose to record levels yesterday. We all know that the speculators in the markets are betting against them, so what are the odds of Greece pulling out of the monetary union, even if it were only temporarily? Mauro, please. Um, well, if, the, if, if, if there's a bailout, uh, what that essentially means is that then Greece does, uh, you know, they buy time. They can, uh, you know, they don't have to go to the, uh, you know, the uh, credit markets to uh, place their bonds, uh, you know, for a while. Uh, roughly speaking, maybe for about a couple of years. The problem is that they have, you see, the, the way these government loans work is that uh, they're three months in maturity or six months or whatever. And so, the, you, you know, countries need to repeatedly go to the markets to, uh, to keep on, you know, rolling on their, their debt. They are rolling out the debt. The, uh, the, uh, 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 Greece has a problem, of course, in that, uh, you know, uh, this is not a new thing. I mean, it's not something that has, you know, there wasn't a problem three months ago and suddenly we have a problem. The problem has been building up for a number of years, and the problem has been masked uh, in a way by funds that were coming from Europe, right? And, uh, and it has been, uh, you know, covered by this uh, appearance that uh, everything was okay, they're part of the euro, and so on and so forth. But they've been living beyond their means. Uh, they have lost competitiveness. Uh, they have a huge uh, uh, trade deficit, right? Really, really, really big. 
Uh, I would challenge anybody here in the room uh, or in the wider Knowledge Award audience to name one or two or perhaps even three, you know, if you can, Greek companies that are making a dent in global competition, right? Uh, by the same token, it is very hard for foreign companies to invest in Greece and be competitive, you know, globally from a Greek base. Uh, wages are out of whack. Um, so the only, you know, uh, uh, you just through an evaluation or by getting out of the euro, right, which would be the same thing, right? All you accomplish is you just automatically reduce the standard of living of everybody in the country. People need to adjust, uh, they reduce imports, uh, they become more, more competitive, and you take it from there, right? Uh, but absent that, uh, there's no other way of adjusting unless, you know, somebody wants to foot the bill, right, or keep on, you know, subsidizing them. Uh, uh, but through a, a sharp uh, reduction in standard of living, right? Uh, and uh, by the way, that, that's going to happen in a lot of countries that are having living beyond their means. That includes the United States. That includes uh, the United Kingdom. It's not just uh, Greece. The problem is that Greece doesn't have many options, right? Uh, because it has uh, driven itself into a corner. They don't really have any part of the economy that is that competitive. Uh, they don't have companies that are dynamic. Uh, they're in a very, very difficult situation. And, uh, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a number of things that, uh, and trends that have been building up over the last 10, 15 years uh, that they have failed to address. Uh, not only that, they were, you know, uh, 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 covering up the evidence, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, moreover, uh, they were, uh, you know, I think uh, this is another problem that Greece has, which is that some of their best people actually have left the country, right? Um, I mean, they live in London or they live in other places. Uh, so they don't even have the best prepared people, uh, you know, uh, in, in the country, right? Many of them have, uh, have left uh, over the last five, ten years. Uh, so let me, let me just extend that question a little bit and make it even a little tougher for <laughs> you folks, which is what are the odds that they'll either devalue or restructure their debt, which is, in effect, um, a partial default or a negotiated default? Uh, and um, or both. Could you give your sense on that? It's hard to place, <clears throat> excuse me, odds on some of these things. But I think that, you know, what Mara pointed out very rightly is that harsh measures will have to be taken. And um, part of it probably will have some form of that. We saw that in the financial crisis here, the situation with how the banks were saved, for instance, you know, had elements of, uh, uh, of perhaps subsidy in the short term involved. And, and maybe that's there. I think the the larger question is, and this is going off of your point, Mara, that uh, the EU will have to decide on what it wants to do for, for a couple of important reasons um, beyond the immediate fiscal um, uh, condition, which is that, one, what type of precedent do they want to set? Um, because is this acceptable, and then are subsidies and so forth acceptable uh, going forward if that's the, the avenue that they choose, or a harsher step like step out of the uh, union or something along those lines? The second part is psychological in nature, because we've seen that, in particular, stock markets, they're very integrated, they're reacting very sensitively. Nobody wants to see a second global crisis, even as we barely are starting to emerge out of the first one. And so I think a lot of these compulsions will also dictate what type of action is taken, at least in the short term. Hey, my name is Rahila Zafar. I'm a contributor to Knowledge at Wharton, and I'm also a graduate student at Penn. My question is for Mauro. Um, in terms of the bailout money that Greece is getting, is any of that going to go to improve its institutions so they're less bureaucratic and they're more transparent? Because what's the point of them getting all this money if that's not going to change? Yeah, that's under discussion. And as you know, this is a very controversial issue. 
that was or used to be the way in which the IMF tended to operate, uh, especially in the beginning in the 1980s. That is to say, you know, when a country, you know, knocked on the door saying we, we, we can't keep going, uh, we need a bailout, uh, would you help us? Then the IMF uh, typically responded since uh, the 1950s, right? But uh, this became more of, a, uh, of, uh, of the norm in the 1980s and into the 90s. Typically responded by saying, sure, we'll, we'll help you. But by the way, you need to... Uh, uh, you know, change these and that and so on and so forth. And uh, the IMF uh, was, uh, came under attack for actually, uh, you know, going too far in terms of asking countries to do certain things that actually in some instances proved to be counterproductive, okay? Uh, so it's very, um, it's tricky, okay? And the other thing is uh, there is a professor here at Wharton, uh, Whittle Hennish in my, in my department, who has demonstrated that uh, when you impose reforms from the outside, when a country is in dire straits, it's actually so much more likely that there will be a backlash against those reforms. You see, it's not just about economics. I mean, we can, you know, try to figure out uh, what is the best technical solution. And we have uh, great economists here at Wharton who could tell us uh, what is the best uh, solution from a technical point of view. But Saikat just mentioned that you also need to take into consideration what is possible, politically possible. And then what, has, what are going to be the consequences of this looking down the road, right, depending on how you, uh, how you proceed now. Uh, so that's why at the beginning I was saying uh, you also have to take into consideration the political cost or the political you know, benefits both of, uh, of uh, doing things in a, in a particular way, okay? Uh, so uh, Greece, first of all, what it needs is to tell the truth, right? Uh, and it hasn't. Uh, Greece needs to, uh, you know, uh, avoid the situation in which they don't even know how much money there is in the country because their fiscal system, you know, it's just a problem that uh, there's so much tax evasion, right, in the country. Um, and they just let that problem, you know, grow, right, in an uncontrolled way. That is also true of Italy, of course, with the additional problem that they have a prime minister that I don't think anybody in this room would like to have as a prime minister, right? And it has all sorts of other problems, right? So Greece is not, I don't want to single out Greece as being institutionally a disaster, right? But it seems to be that uh, there's a lot of things in Greece that are not, are not uh, working properly. So therefore, there should be some way, right? But if you try to impose it from outside, uh, it may not be, you know, that, that, that is unlikely to be the best way of doing it, right? Uh, the problem, of course, is we're now with a, uh, you know, we have a problem in our hands. What do we do, right? And uh, first of all, I think is you need to reassure the markets. I don't know what it would take to reassure the markets now, but definitely what you want to do is to prevent this problem from, you know, spreading. And depending on the kind of response, the markets or investors or whoever may be encouraged, right, to then think, oh, look at uh, what happens with Greece. They're hesitating. Maybe we should try to uh, make a killing by betting against, uh, you know, this other thing over there. You see what I'm saying? So it is, I think, very important to restore confidence, right, in that uh, the European Union, the Eurozone members, uh, maybe led by Germany or the Germany and France, they can handle the situation. The sooner that happens, the better. And by the way, that would also be good for the United States. Uh, I, I want to make a, 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 a remark, and I, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a U.S. nationality as well as a Spanish nationality, and I, I, you know, I love this country, but there's a problem here, which is that it seems as if people would like the euro to fail. And uh, right now, what, America, what American companies need is the ability to do export. It was great for U.S. companies that the euro was so strong. I don't understand why, you know, uh, there are so many people who believe, right, that right now a weak euro would be great, right, uh, for, for U.S. companies. Because one of the big problems that the United States, this country has, is uh, lack of export competitiveness and a big trade deficit, right? So now this turmoil in Europe, right, where a lot of American firms operate, right, uh, is actually going to be hurting the, uh, the uh, recovery here.
so I think it would be uh, good, uh, you know, for everybody to actually, uh, you know, try to see how we can, you know, uh, address the Greek situation and uh, prevent the whole thing from, uh, you know, getting out of control. Right? Uh, and, uh, of course, time is of the essence. Uh, uh, this is really important. I'd like to come back to those ideas of, uh, of the problem spreading, contagion, and also how it affects the U.S. and other parts of the world like China and India. But first, I want Jean to give you a chance to talk about what you think the odds are of Greece either devaluing or, uh, or rescheduling debt or you know, partial default. There's a lot of euphemisms, but it's basically a default. Yeah, let me just show you a piece of paper that was uh, uh, printed from the web from a very respectable think tank in France called Pourquoi il ne faut pas prêter à la Grèce? Why we should not help Greece. The, idea, the basic idea. <laughs> The ba basic idea being, you know, if we do with Greece what the states did for with Lehman, we just let them go. They, they will uh, go through default, uh, the restructuring the debt out of the euro, of course, and then we take in charge everything else. That means betting on uh, we can improve the situation after Greece has left, preferably to the market will consider that a weak signal, and then it will go to other countries in uh, Europe, which is, of course, uh, gambling. But anyway, this is a feeling which is quite common in uh, some uh, European countries. Uh, so um, as I'm concerned, I think that, uh, but it's just a, a personal point of view, I think that it will not happen. We, we are going to help Greece, but mainly for uh, just uh, temporary political reasons. One is the, the one which you, you mentioned, which would be against, but on the, on the other hand, Mr. Merkel cannot play too hard. Second, Sarkozy, as you probably know, is going to run for re-election two years from now, and his main um, serious opponent is the head of IMF, Dominique Troscan. <laughs> Donc, if, if uh, they let the IMF take care of the Greek uh, story, then this is really a blow against Sarkozy, and he cannot accept that. Already the fact that IMF took some part in uh, the first uh, negotiation concerning Greece was really a serious uh, uh, problem for, for Sarkozy. And therefore, we, I, I think that really we're going to help Greece. I don't know whether we should or not to do it, but we're going in, uh, in Europe to help Greece. Let me just take uh, advantage of this to, to mention one point which is uh, uh, not uh, frequently uh, uh, pinpointed. Uh, in Europe, we have some countries in the European Union with low salaries, such as Romania, Bulgaria. Remember that, for instance, Renault, the French uh, Renault Nissan, Nissan, the French car manufacturer, is now selling very well one uh, car which is called Logan, which is a low-cost car built in Romania from the former communist Dacia. You know, so uh, this helps Europe uh, without doing any. Uh, um, outside how can they, outsourcing to uh, other countries, to emerging countries, to solve some uh, salary problems. Of course, uh, it creates uh, unemployment in countries with high salaries, uh, salary level. But as I said, uh, for one, two, three years, the governments take care of that. However, that, this explains why, why our economies are not uh, going down as fast as one could think they could due to the, the existence of the internal possibilities of outsourcing in, inside Europe. Thank you. Uh, if we were having this discussion two months ago and um, I asked you what you thought the chances are of, of the European Monetary Union or even the EU dissolving, there would be chuckles and laughs and really wouldn't be taken seriously. Um, 
the question is at least a serious one now, however low the odds might be, and maybe they aren't so low. But uh, I, I get back to this idea of, of asking you what you think the chances are just because it, it, it frames it in a way that forces us to think of what the possibilities are. So could I ask each of you to say as the possibilities for contagion for this, the, you know, for the for speculation to spread to uh, the weaker economies, which would include Portugal, Spain, Italy, Ireland, and maybe you're throwing in France, and so who am I to challenge that? So, um, what what are the odds that that this whole thing could unravel? Could we have a, a, a European meltdown? These are these are the kind of headlines that are in the Financial Times these days. Tomorrow, I'm putting you on the spot. <clears throat> uh, contagion has already started. Uh, you know, if you use uh, the indicator that you um, uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, Credit default swaps. Uh, CDSs, or, or you use the uh, premium that, uh, you know, um, uh, these countries are having to pay now to uh, place their debt. Uh, it is quite clear, uh, clearly the case that uh, Portugal, Ireland, Spain, uh, to a lesser extent, Italy, right? Even though I think Italy is actually much more vulnerable than any of the others, quite frankly. But uh, they are, um, uh, uh, you know, already experiencing the, uh, the effects of this, right? So it has already started. The question is, how far is it going to go? And, uh, but your original question was, uh, what is the likelihood, right? That, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, so, uh, you know, it's a very difficult question to, to answer. Uh, I would, uh, uh, you know, I, I would tend to think that it is not that likely that the euro will be, you know, unravel. I say, uh, I don't think it is very likely. And it's not very likely because all it would take uh, for the whole thing to be saved is for the Germans to uh, send a very clear signal, right, that uh, they're not going to let that happen. Uh, and uh, if things get uh, in the next two or three months bad enough that, uh, you know, there's a danger that that could happen, I think, uh, you know, Merkel would, uh, you know, essentially stand up and say, enough is enough, uh, we are going to be, uh, you know, supporting this and, uh, and making sure that we get out of the, uh, of the uh, uh, problematic situation we find ourselves in. And uh, probably that would need to be done in conjunction, obviously, with friends. Just, and, just uh, interject one thing. Is it, isn't it a problem that the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets? If, if Germany had stepped up six weeks ago or even two weeks ago, it would be costing Germany a lot less like than I it mentioned, right now. There was a political reason for yes, Merkel yes, to, yes. Uh, to wait. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, uh, it is this weekend, right, uh, when uh, I guess uh, that problem will be behind us, at least for, you know, for a few months. I, I forgot now when is the next uh, regional election in, in Germany. It was probably in the fall, right? Yeah, but the others are And uh, Baden-Württemberg yeah. is, uh, you know, such a big, uh, you know, federal state uh, land in Germany that uh, it makes a, uh, you know, big difference, right? Uh, the outcome. So I would, I would say, you know, um, uh, I think it is, let me rephrase the question, how likely is it that Germany will say at some point, uh, enough is enough, it is in our best interest to actually, you know, uh, uh, bail, you know, the whole thing out, if that's what it takes, in conjunction with France, of course, which is the other large economy. Uh, and uh, I think it is very likely that they will, you know, uh, do that if they feel that the, uh, the whole setup uh, becomes threatened. Because uh, you see, uh, the Germans have been paying, you know, with quotes around that word, for a lot of this. But it is also a fact that German companies and the German economy has benefited immensely from the creation of a European single market for goods and, uh, in many respects, for services, and also from the monetary union. And the reason for that is pretty obvious, which is that Germany, together with the Netherlands and a couple of other smaller economies, are very, you know, are, are, are among the world's most important exporters, okay? 
uh, the German economy could not survive without exports. And most of German exports, even though they, you know, China and the U.S. are important markets for them, go to France, go to Spain, go to Italy. Okay? So for them, this is incredibly important. I mean, Germany cannot afford for the European common market to implode. I mean, this is just not, uh, you know, uh, so, so if, they, if things get really worse and they realize that they're getting worse, and I'm hoping that they would realize that they get worse if they get worse uh, or really bad, then I think they're going to take decisive action to, uh, you know, they're going to orchestrate some kind of, a, uh, of an agreement, taking the lead, and they will essentially, you know. But having said all of that, again, I think it is in the best interest of the United States, it's in the best interest of pretty much everybody right now around the world that uh, this problem in Europe gets uh, resolved as quickly as possible. So I don't think anybody should take, uh, you know, uh, pleasure in seeing the European Monetary Union or the European Union uh, I mean, and and uh, quite frankly, I am dismayed at the fact that some commentators, especially in the press, uh, are, are, are coming very close to celebrating that, uh, you know, like, like, like saying, we told you, right, that this was going to happen to you, as if this wouldn't have any consequences on the economic recovery here in the United States or, for that matter, recovery around the world. I mean, it would have devastating consequences. No better proof that we need knowledge at Wharton High School because the economics education in this country is obviously missing something, so... Saikai, do you have a...? I, I strongly agree with Mauro on this because I really think that um, it's very unlikely that they will unravel the euro or, or other aspects of the EU. I mean, look, the basic situation is now that de facto we live in a globally interdependent economic system. And it's not, it's not just about Europe. It's about the global uh, financial markets being linked. It's about exports happening. It's about markets opening up. If you look at uh, Procter & Gamble's results declared very recently, or IBM's, uh, clearly their recovery is coming from other places than their domestic market right now. You know, that's why they're posting returns. So whether we like it or not, and the stock markets are certainly sending us those signals, that's the de facto situation. So the question becomes, this goes back to your point, John, how can we best align and perhaps address discrepancies? It's there at the social level. Greece was enjoying retirement at 50, for example, which was in, in a vast contradiction to many other countries which were going elsewhere. Um, it's at the economic level. It's at the political level. And, and really, it's the institutions, like we see in the financial system, which have to get together and, and develop these mechanisms, right? I think there's no choice. The other point I want to make is that there's a short-term consideration and then a mid-term and long-term consideration, which has been implicit, right? I mean, yes, Merkel this weekend... Um, may lose power in Nordrhein-Westfalia, may lose power in Dusseldorf, which will make it hard for her to govern from Berlin and Germany as a whole. But there are much larger implications here for the system. So if it comes down to it, that notwithstanding, her focus will be on saving the uh, German economy by saving the EU. I think the, the point here is how can we achieve that integration um, in a meaningful way? You were drawing an interesting distinction within the EU, right? Because it would be easy if all the... Uh, new entrants, or, or not even new entrants, if the weaker economies in Europe, including the Eastern European ones, were also faltering at this stage to make the argument that the whole EU and the, and the euro is a failed experiment. But it's not the case. Like you said, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Romania, and so forth are much better integrated. They're the uh, lower-cost, quote-unquote, production centers, outsourcing centers, with high expertise, mind you, within the EU, and it works. Greece was not integrated for the various competitive reasons or lack thereof uh, that we were talking about, you know? Yes, please. I, I just would like to, just to make a point. We have been talking a lot of uh, Europe in, that, uh, in the background, but we didn't talk about the United States. There is a feeling in uh, some 
parts of Europe, I would like to know what my colleagues here think, that uh, China is not going to, to buy uh, U.S. Treasury bonds for years and years and years and years. And due to the fact that uh, European uh, economies are not that rich, who is going to buy these treasury bonds and what is the future of the dollar? Because the future of the euro it may be a bit different if the dollar had problems. So I would almost ask that you the question or to my colleagues. <laughs> Who's going to buy if the I, Chinese I don't, don't buy? Looks at me when you're, uh... <laughs> I think it's because you're the head of the Lauder Institute. <laughs> So what happens if China decided? I, I, we're I mean, really I, going a little far My sense, you know, my now. sense is that I mean, we're we're like uh, uh, we're like uh, formulating too many ifs, right? And this is becoming like really complicated, at least for me to uh, to handle. I mean, what if uh, you know uh, the Chinese, for example, had a had a big problem, right? I was reading uh, the day before yesterday a uh, an article in foreign in foreign affairs uh, about China and uh, about uh, its foreign policy and about uh, its neighbors and. Uh, you know, uh, boy, I wouldn't like to be the uh, foreign policy, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, foreign minister for China. It's uh, so complicated. It borders with I don't know how many countries, and uh, each single border is a problem, right, or a potential problem. Uh, uh, so China, uh, you know, will surely have a lot of problems in the next few years, starting with demography, you know, the banking system. Uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to be able to make a transition from being low-cost manufacturer to uh, being higher-value-added uh, producer? What about the domestic market? How about income inequalities between the coastal areas and the interior? Uh, the political system, I mean, it cannot stay like that forever. Uh, you know, uh, there's all sorts of problems, right? So I fully agree that uh, we cannot expect China to continue playing the role that it's been playing because it's going to have to pay more, more attention to uh, other things that, uh, you know, are more about uh, their own economy and political system and how it relates to, to, to the neighbors, right? Um, so what's that going to mean for the dollar? Well, I think Americans, uh, all of us, uh, in other words, uh, you know, we're going to have to uh, think very hard about what we're doing. And uh, our standard of living is going to come down on average. Uh, I think this is inevitable unless we, we become more competitive. Uh, and uh, and uh, it is a bad thing that uh, now when there's uncertainty in the world, actually the dollar suddenly becomes more, more valuable because that is hurting some of the incipient uh, export activities and uh, some of the, uh, you know, out of this economy. So it's actually, I think, bad that this is happening, but people seem to celebrate it, that suddenly, you know, the dollar is, uh, you know, uh, a little bit stronger. It's actually the last thing that uh, we would like to have right now in the U.S., quite frankly, a strong dollar. I mean, what we need is a relatively weak dollar, uh, you know, without uh, making any fusses about it, but we need to reduce the trade deficit and we need to become more competitive and import less. And, uh, you know, this is actually producing the wrong set of incentives, right? Uh, so, uh, but again, I mean, I, I think there are too many ifs and too many moving parts in the, in the questions that, uh, you know, that uh, were just uh, formulated. Uh, again, I think right now, given that the, the hot spot seems to be Europe, right? Uh, that's the center of attention now. What we need to do is to try to resolve the situation there uh, and, uh, and then take it from there. Uh, but if, uh, if Europe implodes or there's something, you know, just contagion continues, then I don't think that's good for anybody. So we need to stop that, uh, you know, as, as quickly as possible, obviously. So hopefully Merkel will emerge from the weekend uh, uh, stronger, okay, hopefully. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, Germany will, you know, she will have more of a free hand in terms of, uh, you know, orchestrating a true, you know, uh, response to the situation. Thank you. I was, uh, we, we only have a couple minutes left, and I was going to ask each of you to take a minute or two to sum up what Mara, I think you just did. So, Saikot, would you give your 
wrap up of this, please? Um, I think that in a, in a global economic system, um, this is a crisis. We will see more crises. That's just the nature of it. So I think uh, it's a good time to start thinking about the right institutions and mechanisms uh, at those levels which can respond to these types of crises uh, in an effective fashion. Um, and that's been the lesson from the global financial crisis. I think that's the lesson from the Greece package. Um, I think that uh, now it's reached uh, a certain level in Europe that uh, we will see a strong response coming from Europe, from Germany, France, and other countries. They can't let it fail. It's that too big to fail type of concept applied uh, in a slightly different way. Um, so I, I am fairly confident and optimistic that things will, uh, will be turned around um, and we will see that happening very shortly. Thank you. John? Yuri, during the the, first, the Second World War, uh, Winston Churchill could uh, get the, the British people um, accept very strong measures because it was the war. You remember his famous uh, speech. Uh, the problem in Europe is that people do not feel it's the war, although I think it is the war, a, a different type of war. Uh, again, sorry to, to quote my French uh, co-citizens, but the head of, one of the heads of the Socialist Party said last week when we had to, they had to vote in the parliament for or against uh, giving $6 billion to Greece, uh, he said uh, eventually, okay, we are going to vote for, but I must, and, uh, I must say and emphasize the fact that we are very much against the measures which Greece is taking now. Uh, so, you know, uh, how, that which means that we in France, if we come into power after this government, we are not going to, to accept the fact that people say well, salaries are too much, 25% uh, about what they should do and so on. So this is really serious, and um, I think that only a, a, a set of measures which would reorganize uh, on the, at the worldwide level the uh, financial system, which would have a psychological impact on the populations and on the, the people who vote, unless we something like that happened, and on that part, uh, U.S. has to take the lead. I mean, nothing can happen if Mr. Obama, together with the IMF, said, okay, enough is enough, let's, let's have some very strong, uh, we are not going in Europe then to adapt and, and to do what, what is necessary. Okay, I just have to ask then, what, what would that look like? What would those measures that you're talking about what would they be? What would, what would that look like? Oh, for, first measures regarding the banks, you know, um, which, is, which are not really, not totally related to the present situation, but preventing the banks from doing what they have been doing in the past. Uh, in, between inverted, uh, bit, between brackets, I uh, don't blame my fellow uh, citizens who are working for Sogen and for uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, the French has nothing to do uh, with that. Uh, and uh, so first, regulate the, the bank system, not by reducing the, the size of banks, but, but preventing the banks who use the deposits to, to gamble through hedge funds to, to do it. I mean, not separating. So maybe higher reserve requirements, for example. Yes, and, and separating the, the role of uh, separating, the, giving it impossible to have uh, uh, for a regular bank to, 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 to bet on, uh, um, how do you call that, uh, the produit derivé, derivatives. And uh, second, to reorganize the IMF, to organize, not the IMF, but the, to have a second Bretton Woods, uh, if I can say so, mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is not, I don't feel it's a crisis. I think it's, a, it's more than a crisis. It's a, a situation which cannot go ahead. We are not going to experience such crises again in five years and 10 years, 20 years. I think if we don't do something now, bad things we are, are going to happen, especially in Europe. Meltdown, so, meltdown. I don't know, maybe, okay. but something bad. I mean, 
So, uh, and people are going to wake up saying, but oh, that's not possible, I'm not going to die now. Nobody has told me that, but however. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, only a worldwide movement which would impact emotionally the people who vote can do something. If not, people will refuse to wake up and then we're going to, against the wall. Does that mean we need a second crisis to wake up? No, no, that one is oh, okay, already fine. Okay. Just checking. Thank you all very much. It was very, very... For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.